What is good, everybody? Yo, welcome to the Uncensored Christian Podcast, where we help real people with real problems know the real God. Hey, if you enjoy this message, share this with your friends because the gospel is not meant to be kept to ourselves. And there is a link down below if you would like to give. Your gifts really do help this podcast reach more people all around the world. I hope you enjoy this message. There is just an art to fishing that I think I'll never understand and you're probably like why on earth is this dude talking about fishing when we're supposed to be learning about jesus it's just i don't know it just it it perplexes me right there's an art to fishing i mean there's all these different lures and the way that they reflect light and different ways to attract the fish i'm surprised they ain't got like fish calls like they do bird calls i mean there's the science of fishing has just evolved so much that it's really wild. I mean, I'll see people out there who are serious about it. You know, they'll walk out with their tackle box and inside the tackle box, they got all these different hooks and lures and poles. And I'm like, I'm, I'm sitting here going, this is, this is an art of fishing I've never encountered. Cause me, when I was growing up, my grandpa would take me fishing and you know, we was broke. Like we didn't have, we didn't have all this extra money to buy these lures that reflect light and you put some batteries in them joints. Like, you know, we had to catch fish when I was younger. You know, we used hot dogs. That's all we used, bro. We put the hot dog at the end of the hook, toss that joint in the lake. And guess what? Mm, Reeling in something good. I mean, that's how we used to catch fish, but fishing for me, I mean, if I'm being honest, I never really cared for it. It it really wasn't my gig. I was more into feeding the ducks at the park. That was so much fun, man. Just walk out with some breadcrumbs and start shoveling it. I mean, (laughs) you feel like Jesus feeding a 5,000 because you start off with one little duck and then the rest of the ducks in that joint, somehow they know that that other duck is getting fed and they'll come, I mean, they'll come from cities, bro, just flying in because they want some food. And there was one time I got bit by a duck. And if y'all think that ducks are harmless, you're probably thinking of like the Aflac duck. I promise you, the duck that bit me wasn't trying to save me money on car insurance. I mean, it was it was really scary, but I'm getting off topic because <laughs> I was talking about fishing. You know, I think the real reason why I never enjoyed fishing is because there's a level of patience that you have to have when you fish. And that's just something I never, I never had that type of patience to sit there. In fishing, I asked some of my friends on Facebook, I was like, yo, what's the longest that some of y'all have waited to catch a fish? And some of these dudes were saying that they were out there for days. Like, like they were saying like, yeah, man, we, we went on some boating trips and we were out there for two days before we got a single bite. And I was watching pro fishing on the TV once. Yeah, pro fishing is a real thing. Caught me by surprise. And they were showing these people and they were out there waiting to catch a fish and they were waiting four hours before they even caught one. There's a level of patience. And I think that's what I admire about fishing. Like like the art of fishing. That's what I admire about it is there's, there's such a level of patience and there's a level of faith that you have to have To know that the time and the effort and the energy that you are putting in will eventually lead you to the reward of the fish. What's really weird though, if you think about it, is something like fishing in today's day and age, we get to do it for fun. Like like we just get to go out and fish, not because we have to, not because it's the way for us to feed our family, but we just do it because it's fun. It's a pastime. 
It's really funny how there's certain things that used to be essential for survival that today we get to exploit for pleasure. You ever think about that? Like we do this with food. At one point in our history, food was something that we had to work for. That was scarce. That there was times where you would go nights without eating a meal because you weren't able to find food for that day. And something that was once essential for survival. I mean, we get to exploit it now for our pleasure. I mean, you walk into a grocery store and then things stopped. And now we struggle with having too much food rather than not having enough. I mean, think about it. We do this with sex as well. I know I'm getting real. <laughs> you thought I was just talking about fishing. I know I'm getting real, but we do this with sex. Something that was once essential for the survival of mankind. God told us to be fruitful and multiply because that's the only way that we were going to continue to expand the human race. Something that was once essential. We now just abuse and use for pleasure. And we take away the sacredness that was supposed to be sexed within the covenant of marriage. We do this with God's grace. You know, God's grace, it's not only that it once was essential, it still is essential for our walk with God, but we tend to abuse the things that we are given. And sometimes we'll abuse God's grace and, and we'll sit here and we'll sin and we'll say, it doesn't matter if I do this because I know that God will forgive me because he's a loving God. And I better get back to the message. <laughs> I don't want to go too far into this. I better get back into the message. What were we talking about? We was talking about fishing. This is what I wanted to tell you today. That fishing is kind of like faith. Fishing actually reminds me a lot about faith. Let me give you the verse that, that is correlating with this. Because you're probably thinking, what on earth? Fishing and faith, that does not match up. Look at what the writer of Hebrews says in uh, chapter 11 in Hebrews in verse 4. Look at what he says. He says, it's impossible to please God without faith. Okay, <laughs> that's a big deal. So how do we please God with our faith? He says, anyone who wants to come to him must believe that God exists and that he rewards those who sincerely seek him. Oh, that's good. That's good. This is why this reminds me of fishing. When I read this verse, the first thing I thought of was fishing because it's not enough to just know that the fish are in the pond. It's not enough to know that the fish are there. But if you actually want to catch the fish and you want to reap the reward of what you're seeking, you have to put into action what it takes to get the fish. And that's what the writer of Hebrews is saying about faith. It's not enough for us to just believe that God is or that he's able or that he wants to. But what our faith looks like in action is when we earnestly seek God because we know that he is willing to give us the reward that we are seeking. It's a two-part step to faith. And the Hebrew writer actually give us, gives us some examples of what faith looks like in real world scenarios. Check this out. Look what he says in verse 21. It was by faith that Jacob, when he was an old, when he was old and dying, blessed each of Joseph's sons and bowed in worship as he leaned on his staff. It was by faith that Joseph, when he was about to die, said confidently that the people of Israel would leave Egypt. He was co even commanded them to take his bones with them when they left. It was by faith that Moses' parents had him hid for three months when he was born. Because they saw that God had given them an unusual child and they were not afraid to disobey the king's command. This is what I want to focus on today. 
I want to focus on that last example of faith when we're talking about Moses's parents, but specifically, I want to talk about Moses's mama. And we don't know her name yet from what we're reading. So we're just going to call her Big Mama Moses. That's what I'm going to call her. I'm going to call her Big Mama. But before we talk about Big Mama, I got a question. And this is a serious question. What if we lived out our faith like our lives depended on it? What if we lived out our faith like it was the only way to survive? And you're probably thinking, you're probably trying to think of, of any scenario where faith in God, it, it would be the crux of your survival. And that's really hard to think about, especially in this day and age. It's really hard to think about when you've got stores filled with food. Like, could you imagine just plucking one of these Old Testament people into our current situation, right? I mean, these dudes out here having to hunt and having to slave in the field so they can get some corn, dude. And we'd pluck them into a Walmart. And they just see an abundance of food. I mean, we're talking about so much food where half the time they got to throw it out because it goes bad because there's not enough people to eat it. It's really hard to think about us having to be in a situation where our faith is the is the deciding factor of our survival. When we have something like stores filled with food and we have shelter and AC, we don't have to worry about lions and bears coming through and killing us while we sleep because we got a home and security systems and things to Make sure that we're protected. It's hard to think about depending on our faith to survive when we got something like a phone where if we need help, we can just dial up somebody anywhere in the world. We can call the police, the paramedics. We can get in contact with anybody whenever at any time on our little phone. Y'all want to hear a crazy poll about how dependent we are on our phones? This going this gonna to blow your mind. And I'm so glad my age group is not in the group of people that was surveyed in this poll. They surveyed young adults, 18 and younger. And they asked them this question, would you rather have your phone be broken or your finger be broken? Y'all, when I tell you that 46% of these clowns, and yes, I said clowns, because you got to be a clown to say that 46% of these clowns would have rather had their finger broken than having a broken phone. And this is why I asked the question of what if we lived our life like our faith depended on it? Because we're lucky in a sense to live in a world where we don't have to depend on a ton of external factors for our provision and our safety. But I said we're lucky in a sense. And the reason why I said that is because although we have all these things that we can depend on, if we're not careful, we will slowly start depending on all of these worldly things instead of depending on God for our advancement and our survival and our protection and our growth. And I start to think about what faith meant to the people in the Old Testament in ancient times, right? And honestly, if you think what faith meant to just people two, three hundred years ago, because what faith meant for them is not the same as what faith means for us. You know, faith for them was necessary. Like it was necessary for so many things. Faith for them was necessary to to put their faith in hoping that God will provide them their next meal so they don't have to starve another day. Faith for them was... uh 
was putting faith in God so that they could have protection from enemies in other lands that were trying to kill them and destroy their towns and take their women and children. You know, one group of people I think of when I think of how faith meant something different, I think of the slaves that were here in America. Brutal. A brutal time. But you know, what faith meant for those who were enslaved is completely different than what faith means for us. You see, the, faith, the, the, the slaves had to have a certain amount of faith to just be able to go on in that situation. Their faith had to be strong. It had to be unbreakable when they were getting broken day in and day out. Their faith had to be so strong because if they did not hold on to their faith, then what did they have to hold on to? There was no, there was no hope for the future that the world could provide. Because the situation that they were in, the hope was getting taken away by those who were enslaving them. But they had faith and they had a hope in God, knowing that even if they were not going to be freed in this life, they were going to be free in the next. And this is the beauty of the gospel. It gives hope to those who are oppressed and in need of a savior. And this is my fear. My fear is that if we were to ask the question, what does my life depend on the most? We would come up with at least three or four things before we even got to God. That's my fear. And if I'm being honest, if I would have asked myself this question just a year ago, my faith in God probably wouldn't have even been the top 10 of the things that my life depended on the most. And the sad thing is, is that the answer that we would have given to that question would not have even been able to give us freedom peace, or salvation. So today I want to speak from the title of this message, Survival Faith. Survival Faith, because even though we live in such a lucky, prosperous time, we can still have faith that allows us to survive in some of the darkest moments that we can face. And I want to focus back onto big mama onto moses's mama and the reason why i call her big mama you're gonna find out because she has some big faith and we're gonna look at what happens in exodus chapter one this is where the story starts of moses and his big mama because the israelites found refuge in egypt after joseph died but they started to grow and they started to multiply and and the new pharaoh in egypt saw this and he started to get a little bit scared because he saw that Israelites were getting, uh, they were growing such a population. And he thought that eventually they're going to try and overtake him in his kingdom and his rule. And he was not about to have that. And so he issued a command to kill every new Hebrew born boy baby. I know that was a mouthful. He wanted to kill every new baby boy that was born from the Hebrews and the Israelites. Because he was afraid that they were going to overtake him. And this is our first image of an evil ruler that we see in the entire story of the Bible. This is the first evil ruler that we see that decides to take into his hands the knowledge of good and evil to do evil to another group so it will bring good to himself. So look what happens in chapter 1 and verse 15. This is what he starts to commission. He says, Then Pharaoh the king of Egypt gave this order to the Hebrew midwives, Shifra and Pua, 
Nice names. <laughs> when you help the Hebrew women as they give birth, watch as they deliver. If the baby is a boy, kill him. If it's a girl, let her live. That's tough. That That is so gross and evil, but at least there's some light at the end of the tunnel because these two Hebrew midwives wouldn't do it. It was like, it was like, nah, Pharaoh, first of all, you ugly and your breath stinks. So quit breathing them nasty lies in my face, but we ain't going to do this. So look what Pharaoh says after they refused to do this. Then Pharaoh gave this order to all his people. Throw every newborn, newborn Hebrew boy into the Nile River, but you may let the girls live. So this is the problem that we are facing. This is the problem that, that Moses and big mama and his daddy are facing. They're about to have a child and the Pharaoh is wanting to kill it. He's commissioning everybody. If you see a baby boy that's Hebrew, throw it in the river. No questions asked. I need you to do this. So look what happens in chapter two and verse one. Here's where the start of the story begins. About this time, a man and woman from the tribe of Levi got married. The woman became pregnant and gave birth to a son. She saw that he was a special baby and kept him hidden for three months. But when she could no longer hide him, she got a basket made of papyrus reeds and waterproofed it with tar and pitch. She put the baby in the basket and laid it among the reeds along the bank of the Nile River. The baby's sister then stood at a distance watching to see what would happen to him. The first thing that comes to my sight here is the fact that they kept Moses, a newborn baby, hidden for three months. Three months. I mean, come on, y'all. It takes faith to hide a newborn baby for three months, bro. Three months. All the crying. Like, could you imagine the stress and anxiety that they had to feel? Because you know Moses was crying. I mean, there is no newborn baby that for three months don't utter some cries. You know that Moses was crying and I just put myself in her shoes and trying to imagine what I would do because I have a one-year-old daughter and I can remember the first three months. This girl was a crying machine. The second she got hungry, it was tears and screaming. And if that was me trying to keep my baby quiet, oh my goodness, bro, I would have been dead. My baby would have got tossed in the river. And I'm not saying this trying to be funny. I'm being serious. This takes immense faith to believe that God will watch over you and help you in the process of hiding your newborn baby for three months. And it's not like she just had to keep it quiet. And, you know, it was just like a challenge or something. This was life or death. If she didn't keep Moses hidden, for this three months and somebody found out about it, that baby's gone. And more than likely, Big Mama is gone as well because she lied and she kept him hidden. You know, breaking the law in that time is far different than what it is today. This is how I know that she had a ton of faith in what she was doing. What she was doing wasn't just a little easy task that just took three months. What she was doing was defying the law of the land. And it's not like nowadays where if you, you know, break a law, depending on the severity, you get a ticket, maybe pay a little fee, spend a month or two in jail. No, no, no. She broke the law. I mean, if you looked at Pharaoh the wrong way, this dude could have had you killed instantly. And guess what? It would have been just fine. What she was doing took immense faith to hide Moses for that long. But you know what's interesting about her faith? Is that her faith 
just didn't stop there. The faith that she had led to action. The faith that she had led to more than a belief that that God can or that he's able or that he's good. It led to her putting things into motion, putting things into motion that would produce the reward that she was seeking, even though she did not know how it was going to play out. Look, this is how we know this. She, after that three months, she put her son into a basket and she placed him in the reeds amongst the river. Now this, this point, I really want to point out because this is really important. And I hope y'all are not like me because for some reason, every time I heard this story about Moses, before I really studied the word, I always thought that she just put him in a river and he went floating down the river. And then it just so happened that somebody found him. That's how I always thought it was, but that's not the case at all. What she did, and you can see in the text, is she put the baby among the reeds along the bank of the Nile River. So she put him in this vegetation so that the basket wouldn't go floating. She put him in a spot that she knew he would be found. And this is so incredible that she was willing to to do this action of faith, believing that God was going to be overwatching and protecting the entire way. And that's hard to do. That's hard. I know I'm making this all sound easy, like it's just something that we should do, but I get it. This is hard. It's hard to defy fear in pursuit of faith. You don't think she was scared? You don't think she was scared putting her baby in a place that she knew it was going to be found? I mean, more than likely, if we just look at the odds of it, when she put her baby where it could be found and someone found it, more than likely that baby was going to get tossed in the river. Imagine the fear as a mother, as a parent that must be going through your body as you're giving up your child to chance. But she was willing to push through fear to pursue faith. And she did it because she knew at some level deep down that even though she didn't know how this was going to play out, she knew that God was on the other side. And look what happens in verse five. Somebody is about to find this baby. Soon Pharaoh's daughter came down to bathe in the river. And her attendants walked along the riverbank. When the princess saw the basket among the reeds, she sent her maid to get it for her. When the princess opened it, she saw the baby. Oh my, I can just, I'm putting, I'm putting myself in the position of big mama, Moses's mama. And I could just imagine the fear that is going through her heart when she sees that it's not just anybody (laughs) that's finding her baby. It's Pharaoh's daughter. Like if anybody is going to find this baby and toss it in the river, it's going to be the daughter of the Pharaoh that put that law in place to begin with. I mean, think about the faith that you have to have to put your baby into the hands of the enemy and trust that God is going to do something. Trust that God is going to be on the other side. I mean, this is survival faith. That's why I named the title of this message, Survival Faith. This is survival faith. This isn't just faith to believe that God will get you a new job or that he'll hook you up with the dude that you think is cute. This is life or death faith that she is exercising. I just think about all the different ways that this could have played out. Like this could have gone south so fast, extremely fast. And we're about to find out how this played out. 
In verse 5, going through 8, the little boy was crying and she felt sorry for him. This must be one of the Hebrew children, she said. Then the baby sister approached the princess. Should I go find or should I go and find one of the Hebrew women to nurse the baby for you? She asked. Yes, do, the princess replied. So the girl went and called the baby's mother. You know, if this was me, if this was me and I was relying on my own faith, which admittedly, there are times in my life where my faith does not feel strong enough to do what God is calling me to do. If this was me, I don't, I don't know if I could have put my baby into the hands of the enemy. I don't know if I could have let my child go knowing that there was a very high chance that I was never going to see that baby again because they were going to kill it. I don't know if I could just walk walk into the arena with the enemy and have enough faith to believe that God was going to give me victory. But after looking at what Moses' mother did, I have to question myself and I have to ask the question, how often do I avoid my enemies instead of walking into what God has called me so that his glory can shine through? But I mean, look at what her faith produced. If you ever question if your faith is worth it, look at what her faith produced. Not only did she trust God enough to give up her baby, knowing that somebody who was going to want to kill that baby was going to find it. But she put her faith in God. And because she put her faith in God, not only did the princess find the baby, but she wanted to find help for the baby so someone could take care of it. And as we just read, Moses' sister rolled up to the princess and said, I know somebody that can nurse the baby for you. And the person that got to nurse Moses and take care of him again was his mother. And she was able to do this. She was able to find safety, not only for her, but for her child. Because she put faith in God. Believing that although she was in a circumstance where it seemed like everything around her was against her. She knew that there was one that was for her. And that was the name above all names, the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. God was on her side. And I want you to know today that no matter what situation you find yourself in, no matter what battles you see are coming over the horizon, you have a God that is stronger, that is bigger, and that is greater than anything that is coming your way. And he is willing to see you through and help you fight your battles. But it starts with faith. It starts with faith, not only knowing that God can or that God is able, but putting into action the truth and the belief that if you seek God and you continue to pursue him, he will reward your faith. I hope y'all have a great rest of your day. I will catch y'all on the next episode. Peace out.